Welcome to the Jesus Church Podcast. We're a family seeking to become like Jesus, empowered by His presence, to partner in God's creative work of restoring the world. We pray this episode encourages and equips you along the journey. We're all in process, becoming something. Like a potter throwing clay or an artist mixing color, our lives are being formed. Different backgrounds and experiences blemished and cracked. Each day, an opportunity to move into or out of all that God has purposed. So the question isn't if we are becoming, but rather who are we becoming? And in this family, we want to go on the journey of becoming like Jesus. Happy Mother's Day to all of the moms in the room. Shelby took my tagline, but this is what I was going to intro with. To all of you who are uh, mothers of biological children, adopted children, spiritual children, happy Mother's Day to you. Let's give a round of applause to the moms in the room. It is a wonderful honor to raise up the next generation of followers of Jesus alongside of you all. I also want to take a moment before we get into the teaching to acknowledge that cultural moments of celebration like Mother's Day don't exist devoid of the grief that can come to the surface of many of our hearts on this day. This is a day that for many serve as that painful reminder of the mother that you've lost or the mother that you have a broken relationship with, the mother that caused maybe more trauma than love. Or maybe this is a day that serves as a painful reminder to you uh, as a mom in the waiting, a mom whose desire for motherhood hasn't panned out the way that she has longed for. Uh, And we want to be a family here at a Jesus church that can celebrate well and grieve well without one eclipsing the other. So for all of the women in the room this morning, we love you. We are honored that you are part of this family and we're so glad that you're here. And however your heart interacts with this day, we're so glad that you call this uh, Jesus church your home. Uh, At the beginning of this week, uh, I had an entirely different teaching for today. Uh, One that for me was more intellectually stimulating and maybe even a little bit more impressive for you guys. Uh, One that I was super excited about based on my theological interests and passions. But on Tuesday, I met with the teaching team and I confided in them about how it really wasn't sitting well in my soul, this, this teaching that I had prepared. I shared with them that though uh, my mind was really excited about teaching on this, I honestly didn't feel any peace or permission from Jesus to continue in the content that I had prepared. Mind you, I had been preparing for that version of the teaching for several weeks. So to say that I was frustrated with Jesus, that he waited until about four or five days before I went to go up to teach to give me that nudge uh, would be an understatement. But the beauty of the teaching team is that I don't have to discern any of that in isolation. And so when I shared that with them, every single one of them said, stood in agreement with Jesus and the nudge that he had given me by his Holy Spirit to go in a different direction. And so when Jesus had me go back to the drawing board, he asked me to crack open my heart a little bit and share more from that place, from the place of vulnerability where his heart and my heart converged over this past year. Um, where he's asking me to share a little bit about my uh, journey in motherhood and how it's transformed my relationship with him far more than I could have imagined. But we're going to get into that 
in a moment. And it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway for anybody thinking it in the room, I am not speaking from a place of expertise. I have been a mom for 400 days. <laughs> yeah. And if you're thinking to yourself, that's surely not enough time to be teaching on motherhood, you are right. Uh, did you know that there's a new statistic that was just released that actually quantified how long it would take to go to school to learn all that you need to know for motherhood? And guess how long it would take? 10 years. Medical school equivalent. We're talking undergrad, master's, and two years of residency. And instead, you know what happens? For some of us, we get nine months, but the first three are a wash because you're so sick. And the last two, you're too big to think. And so you get three or four good months in there, maybe. But if your story has included adoption or even fostering, sometimes you have less than 24 hours. So, mothers in the room, if you are tired, it is because the learning curve has never been steeper and the stakes have never been higher. So with that in mind, would you stand to your feet with me? We are going to be diving into the word. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We've got men and women who would love to pass uh, those around. And if you don't have a Bible to call your own, this is our gift to you. But we are going to be continuing on in our series of Becoming Like Jesus. Funny enough, uh, the passage that we're working through is in Luke 18. And it's perfectly fitting for today. And so we thought that it was God's kindness that he allowed this passage to line up with Mother's Day. So Luke 18, we're going to be in verse 15. People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. But Jesus called the children to him and said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter into it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Jesus, we thank you that your word is living and active, that you speak to us, that you're kind to reveal the truth and nature of your character through your scriptures and by your Holy Spirit. So would you tune us in, allow us to be sensitive to the things that you're calling to our heart having us pay attention to the stirrings of the Holy Spirit in our mind and our heart, and would we be obedient to do whatever it is that you have for us this morning and all God's people said, amen. Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter into it. Of all the teachings of Jesus, I'm sure this was up there as a jump scare type teaching for those who were listening, because babies and children back in ancient culture, had a very low place in society. They were often undervalued due to the paradigm with which they ascribed value. Value came from those who were able to contribute to society in some way, whether it be socially, economically, religiously, and so babies were seen as subhuman, dependent, needy, and a nuisance. So you could see how this statement was, would come as a shock to both the disciples and the religious leaders of the day. Because the Pharisees, the priests, the religious elite would have been quick to assume that they were surely the first to enter the kingdom of God. They've presented themselves as worthy of such an honor. We see that as a, as a theme through scripture. And yet Jesus, he's turning this idea of value on its head, saying those who have contributed nothing, those who are unable to feed themselves or clothe themselves, let alone accomplish of anything, anything of significance, are not only going to receive the kingdom of God, but they themselves are the model for how to enter in. Did you catch this? 
Babies are the framework, the template, for how to enter the kingdom of God. In other words, we are invited to look to and learn from children in our journey deeper into the heart of God and in his kingdom. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but I've heard a few teachings on this passage, and it sounds a little bit like this. This invitation to come like a child, it means to simplify our faith, to not get preoccupied with whether or not we've got free will, or if God is sovereign, or whether or not the book of Revelation is literal, or one big metaphor, you name it. We say that children are simple. They don't need things like complex theology and all the Hebrew and Greek words. They just need simplicity. And so I'm here to say that that is not what the passage is calling us to. This isn't what Jesus is calling us to. He is not giving us a weaponized excuse to not engage thoughtfully in the interpretation of scripture. The invitation on offer in this teaching of Jesus is this. Look at these beautiful children. They know that they need me. They're not ashamed to be dependent on me. So receive the kingdom of God. Receive my heart and come to me like they are in a posture of dependence, of vulnerability, and of need. Find the child in you and wake them up to my love. And if you've spent any length of time around children, you know that their way of interacting with God is nothing short of supernatural if you pay attention. Uh, about six months ago, I had the opportunity to lead prayer ministry for our kids uh, during uh, Seek Night. So usually my role uh, on a Seek Night would be that I'm here in the happenings of the garage leading the prayer ministry team and making sure uh, that our staff and the people that come forward have someone to pray for uh, and are trained and equipped. But I got to leave all of that for the night and go into kids' ministry and teach them how to pray. And I did a very similar prayer training to the one that I do with my adult prayer leaders, where we take some time to prophetically listen for people in the room, specific people that we call up. So in kids' ministry, this looked like me calling up one kid at a time to sit right next to me, and then ask the rest of the kids to ask God what, he, what God thought of our friend sitting beside me. Now, when I run these types of prayer trainings with adults, we sit and we listen for a while and I coach them through what it looks like to tune out the external noise in order to hear the faint whisper of God. And after some time has passed, I slowly begin to ask if there's anyone in the room who may have gotten a sense of God's heart for the person that we're listening for. And it takes about 30 seconds up to two minutes of silence before someone becomes brave enough to begin to share what they sense God might have had for this person. But in kids ministry, I asked them to listen for five to 10 seconds. And then when I began to ask what God thought of our friends sitting beside me, every single child said something so beautiful, so profound, so prophetic, within a matter of an instant. Kids were saying things like, God thinks you're kind. God thinks you're creative. God thinks you're colorful. God thinks you're brave. As adults, there's this fear of getting it wrong, self-consciousness, noise, distraction, all of that gets in the way. But with kids, their vulnerability is sacred. And they hear and they trust the voice of God without all that other stuff drowning out his beautiful noise. It is my opinion, my experience, that children are able to give us a window into the garden as God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, to live in intimacy with our God, hearing from him. Before we needed the fig leaves to cover up shame in our hearts and in our minds and in our bodies, living in freedom and dependence and intimacy with our God. So the few questions I have for us this morning is this, what would it look like 
to drop our fig leaves, the one we've picked up in shame, to hide ourselves from God, from others, even from ourselves, and allow the child in you and in me to be woken up to the love of God. And why is it so hard to move through the world in dependence and in vulnerability as adults? These are some of the questions that we're gonna be diving into this morning. Something happens to all of us as we get older. We begin to build up these barriers, these walls of protection around ourselves. It's a self-preservation tactic, right? We've used to convince ourselves that the only way to be received or liked or accepted by others is by acting in a certain way. We've got a lot to learn from the world of psychology when it comes to this language of the child within you or the inner child, the very child that Jesus is putting his finger on in this teaching and telling us to pay attention to. Uh, So from a psychological perspective, the inner child is the part of ourselves where we carry our imagination, our ability to play, our unmet needs, our attachments, our relationships. And as adults, it's where we carry the wounding from our childhood. And these wounds, they don't just disappear. So we attempt to meet our needs as adults in very broken ways, in an attempt to heal the child within us. And it goes wrong. At our core, God has designed us with specific needs. And I'm gonna list a few of them here that I'm sure you'll resonate with. The first is a need for identity. We want to be significant in the world as an individual. There's a need for safety, to be able to express who we are and to trust to be ourselves in relationship to others and to have physically safe environments, a roof over our heads, et cetera. A need for connection and love. We are neurobiologically wired for relationship with God, with others. A need for autonomy, for a sense of self, to know where you stop and where I begin. A need for creativity, for openness to experience and to learn with imagination. And then finally, the need for growth. When our core needs are not met, We experience trauma, pain, and so this inner child within us, this child, becomes wounded. And as an adult, there are some characteristics that begin to emerge as a result of some of the wounds that become undealt with as our our needs went unmet in children. It looks like this. And if I just start to describe this list and you say, well, this sounds like me, it's everybody in the room. So it's not just you, it's everyone. We're all on the same page here, broken but trying to allow ourselves to be healed by God. But see, these are some of the descriptors of, of a wounded inner child. Feelings of unsafety, whether physically or emotionally, you're aware that you feel unsafe. Maybe you're quick to blame or to criticize yourself and others. Maybe you're quick to compare yourself, looking for external validation. Maybe you're stuck in limited or fear-based thinking, I'm not enough, there's not enough. Maybe you tend to overreact and then shut down when things are hard or conflict arises and your mind gets closed to creativity and imagination. Maybe you engage in black and white thinking, it's all or nothing. Maybe there's neglect or harm that's brought upon oneself. Or maybe there's a lack of boundaries with self or others and you tend to push yourself beyond human capacity. So before you spiral into existential dread with the realization that all of that sounded like you, Everyone else in the room is feeling it. We are all broken humans, raised by broken humans. And since we know deep down we've been hurt and wounded, we've built a wall between the child that experienced that pain and the rest of the world in order to avoid that feeling and ensure that we are accepted and loved by whatever means necessary. 
Now, if you go deep enough into this uh, narrative of psychology, this language of psychology, you're dis you'll discover that the solutions that they offer to the problems that they present fall short. It insists on a self-help model, a self-healing model, but I think the problem that they put their finger on is important. And God, in his kindness and in his mercy, provides a solution. He is inviting us to allow this part of who we are, the child in all of us that holds those wounds and those unmet needs, to show up to him, to receive more of his healing and his presence and his power. Now you can be 18 in the room or 80 in the room, male or female, it doesn't matter. All of those needs that God created in us do not go away as we move into adulthood. So when we try to meet them ourselves, when we try to heal ourselves, we actually create distance from God and we don't allow God to meet those needs for us. And we all do it. For some, the wall between this inner child and that persona is thick. And for others, we've started the work of allowing Jesus to thin it down, healing, going on a journey with God to meet him in the secret place and to allow him to draw out the child in you. But wherever you're at in that journey, you are not alone, you're in a room full of people who are thinking and feeling the exact same thing. Henry Nouwen, uh, one of my favorite writers, he writes on this gap that we experience, the disintegration from the inner child and the adult persona um, from one of his most personal and intimate publications called The Inner Voice of Love. This was a private journal that he kept to himself during a season of deep healing when it came to uh, his inner child and God at the end of this season asked him to publish it and it turned into a book that we all get to benefit from. So I'm so glad he did, but I'm gonna read an excerpt from it because I think he puts poetic and beautiful language to what I'm talking about. Um, a part of you was left behind very early in your life the part of you that you never completely received. It is full of fears. Meanwhile, you grew up with many survival skills, but you want yourself to be one, to be unified. So you have to bring home the part of yourself that was left behind. That isn't easy because you have become quite a formidable and intimidating grown-up. And your fearful part doesn't know if it can safely dwell within you. Your grown-up self has to become very childlike hospitable, gentle, caring, so that your anxious self can return home and feel safe. This is a poetic and profound way of saying the same thing that Jesus did. Drop your fig leaves. Come to me like a child. Allow God to begin to thin down that wall between the adult persona that you've put up to protect yourself and that inner child that is experiencing those woundings and unmet needs and deep vulnerability and dependence. Uh, my son just turned one about a month ago and uh, with that birthday started to say some words. He's speaking now, which is so much fun. He says things like mama all the time, dada, <laughs> uh, nana for banana, moo for the cow, quack quack for the duck, uh, bye bye And then his two new favorites, up and more, which he says all day long. And it sounds like, uh, it's like a faint whisper, it's actually very cute. Um, and, but more is not very cute, it's mo, mo, mo. And it's constant and it's all the time and it's for anything, it's for food, it's for what you name it, more music, more food, more water, more milk, whatever it is, he wants more and he wants it right now. Um, but you know what he doesn't think to himself? Man, I've asked my mom to pick me up 144 times today. 
I probably shouldn't ask her anymore. She's going to think I'm needy. <laughs> no, he reaches his sweet arms up for the 145th time and whispers, up, 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 until I pick him up. And that's what it means to be a child, to allow our need for God to spill out of our mouth 144 times and to not think twice when we go to him for 145th to drop our fig leaves, to lean into the vulnerability and intimacy on offer rather than cover ourselves in the shame and self-sufficiency until we can't hold it in any longer and we break. Uh, I like to say that, um, so my son was born on April 6th of 2022, but I like to say that two people were born on that day, Theo and this new version of myself, uh, one that was way more emotional, and anxious and vulnerable and needy and dependent than I've ever been comfortable with. Um, and this past year, there were very real and dark moments for me that felt like I couldn't possibly drop my fig leaves and reach out to God like a child. In, addi in addition to some of the sleep deprivation that I've shared about here, I've also wrestled um, with some pretty uh, severe postpartum anxiety that of course I was not expecting. Uh, racing thoughts that I couldn't turn off no matter how hard I tried. Uh, anxiety is there to protect us from harm, so a little bit is okay. Uh, it keeps us alive when real threats seek to take our lives, but the problem with having too much adrenaline and cortisol racing through your veins at all time is that everything is perceived as a threat. And so my friends and their germs, the water that hasn't been filtered, the piece of dirt from the soil that Theo insists on putting in his mouth, I couldn't stop seeing the world as a threat against the well-being of my child and this new role of motherhood convinced me that it was my job to protect him from all of it. Uh, but no human is meant to hold that level of responsibility. And so this last year has been marked by a lot of suffering and grief. I needed someone to comfort me, to tell me that I wasn't broken, that I was just overwhelmed. I needed someone to protect me from the scary thoughts telling me that I was safe, that Theo was safe. I needed someone to protect me from myself as I began to research information that actually would not serve me or my child. And I wish that I could tell you uh, that there was a breakthrough moment where God got a hold of me and turned my anxious heart upside down and I was better overnight. But instead, my journey looked like a daily offering of my anxious heart that I took back all the time. But it was a daily invitation to drop those fig leaves, to allow the compassion and the care and the protection and help of God to break through that wall of self-sufficiency and formidability. And the more I chose to come to God like a child, the deeper into his heart I found myself. And the deeper I went, the more I began to be taken care of by God like a mother takes care of his children. And I know this language might feel foreign to some people, but scripture supports this experience. In Exodus 33, God discloses his character and nature to Moses for the first time in the narrative so far by describing himself as compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And this word compassion in the Hebrew comes from the root word womb or rechem, and the word itself can be best explained by describing the emotion and desire a mother has to nurture her vulnerable child. This is the first word that God uses to disclose about his character and his nature 
the first word he uses to share about himself that gives us a deeper window into the heart of God, like a mother deeply moved. So in other words, scripture says that this is a part of who God is so much so that he chooses his first description to be maternal in nature. The more I came to God like a child, the more he met me in his compassion like a mother. And so if you are a mother out there, and it's been hard, harder than you ever thought, maybe postpartum anxiety or depression is robbing you of life to the full, I would love if you would come talk to me. You are not alone. And the quickest and easiest way to press gas on your suffering is to do it in isolation. God's love for you, God's love for you is deeper than the feeling that you had when you first laid eyes on your child, more than you are capable of knowing. I know that my entry point, I can't even see my notes. (laughs) I know that my entry point to discovering what it means to be a child was through becoming a mother myself. But the invitation to discover what it means to come to God like a child is on offer, regardless of who you are and what season of life that you are in. To allow the part of you that is needy and full of wonder and not be afraid to be rejected, who brings their walls down before God and others in order to receive in fullness the love and compassion and protection and care of God like a mother. God in his goodness is inviting all of us to surrender that bogus persona he is. Thank you, that's very nice. (laughs) God in his goodness, where am I? Yep, God in his (laughs) goodness. This is awesome. I was joking with Shelby. I like hardly cry in front of my closest friends, so to cry in front of all of you is um, a unique experience. (laughs) God in his goodness, he is inviting you to surrender that bogus persona that we give to the world that's trying to protect ourselves. God will protect you. Don't use that bogus persona to earn love from others. He already loves you. Don't use that persona to find comfort in accolades, success, material things. He will bring you comfort. Don't use your persona to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and tell you that you need to do this on your own. He will help you. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to partner with us through giving, visit us at ajesuschurch.org.